Hello, friends, and welcome to the Brother Cousins Podcast. Today, it's episode 94, and we are continuing our series doing the director's cut behind the scenes of the 2023 Church of Christ area-wide meeting. Last episode on episode 93, we interviewed Brother Trevor Teal, and he talked to us about identity and covenant relationships, love and tolerance, and we focused on the issues of the challenges of people who struggle with same-sex attraction and what the scripture has to say about that and how we as dedicated disciples of Jesus can approach them with the gospel in a way that's compassionate and human. And that was really where we drilled down. We spent all of our time on that. And we did not really get to talk about another bit of this that's very important, which is transgenderism and and finding the identity between um, the two traditional binary genders. So uh, we're here with Jared and Jeffrey, myself and Trevor. Trevor, welcome back uh, to the podcast. It's good to be back. Uh, excited to have another opportunity to visit about these things. Absolutely, man. And I'm going to assume that most people have listened to our previous episode. If you need the full bio on Trevor Teal, uh, you can hit episode 93. But Trevor, just go ahead and orient, if you could, for us, uh, you know, name, rank, serial number. Okay. Um, Trevor Till, I'm a Christian, uh, father and husband. Um, my passion is um, evangelism, studying the Word of God, uh, teaching it publicly and privately. I also work uh, as an engineer by day and um, enjoy these kind of discussions on um, truth and about what God's word teaches and, and um, what God wants for us. And um, so my uh, wife, Kelsey, and I have been married for 15 years. We live in Canyon, Texas, just outside of Amarillo. We attend the Amarillo Church of Christ and have three children, Kyson, Lincoln, and Kinsley. All right. Well, Again, thanks for spending some more time with us on the show today. I know our time will be very well spent. So, all right. So, Trevor, you did something in our last episode, and you did it again in this episode, and I really liked, and you gave us your your identity. You find your identity as being a Christian, right? It's Christian first. And I think that of all the things that we could choose to make our identity, that's probably the best one we could choose you know, we talked last time, I believe, about how we identify maybe as Americans or we identify as a political affiliation or we identify by our occupation. And part of our episode last time we talked about how that if we were to take any one part of our being, whether it be a hobby or a sports team and build our entire identity around that, it would be pretty unbalanced, right? Yes, sir. Yeah. And I, th I think you pointed out that we identify with what we worship, which I thought uh, is a great point. And um, what we see, you know, we, a lot of people referenced Romans 1 in their talks. I did too. And at the root and heart of all of it, all these lists of sins, in, including homosexuality, um, is idolatry and re replacing God, exchanging God for something else, preferring something to God. And so if we have, a, you know, an identity problem, as a society, as a culture, as individuals, you know, I think we all have identity crisis mm -hmm. at times of our lives. I know I've I've struggled with that, putting my identity in the wrong things or activities, where how I define myself, how I see myself, what I'm what I'm worshiping is really at the, the heart of it, the root of it is as idolatry. Yeah. And so 
if you look at Romans 1 in the list of sins there that Paul talks about, all of it goes back to exchanging uh, the creator for the creation. Uh, that's the key word you find, exchanged, exchanged, exchanged. Mm-hmm. Uh, for else. And they suppress the truth and unrighteousness. That's the agenda is we want to suppress the truth so we can uh, act the way we want, live the way we want. And God gave them up, it says, to do those things which are not right or not not natural. And so, um, you know, that's something if, if, if America, if our society or culture or churches or us as individuals, if we have are murderous or liars or thieves or whatever the sin is, uh, it's because we have a God problem. It all goes back. That's the point in Romans chapter one, I believe, is that um, it, it's it's re- refusing to retain God in our knowledge, rejecting God. Uh, for something else that's the fundamental sin that we got to fight and i think as you said back to the identity colossians 3 is a chapter i I like a lot where it talks about our identity being hidden in christ Mm -hmm. seeking that above that's where identity has to be yeah and i think the uh, one of the important things about that is finding our identity in something that doesn't change something that's eternal something that's gonna last and is is healthy and so I want to introduce another idea as we talk about transgenderism is another way that I identify uh, along with being a Christian as I also strongly identify with being a man. So that's something that in my, in my view isn't going to change. Right. Uh, and and so part of you know being a man, being manly, cultivating manly virtue teaching my sons how to be good men in a culture that I believe needs more good men to be who God has called us to be. That forms a pretty big chunk of my identity. And I think that's probably safe to say of, of all three of you gentlemen as well. Correct. Absolutely. Yes, sir. And so the challenge there is, there are a lot of people who say, well, that's just your gender identity is you identify as a male. And I find that identification to be incredibly valid, concrete, real, backed by 6,000 years of recorded human history on papyrus, right? <laughs> it's it's worked for a long time to build civilizations. And there are a lot of people who believe that choosing another gender identity is also valid, concrete, real to them, and all that. And so I struggle with this tension, Trevor, as trying to identify first as a Christian, second as a man, to fulfill the role that God has given me with the you know genetic lottery, right? Yeah. And yeah. so how do we approach that, Trevor? Because there are, there are folks who, just about anybody would say that male and female are genders, but there's a lot of people in the world today who's who are going to say that they're actually a lot more than that, that there may be a, upward of 140 different genders or that gender is a spectrum and it's real to them, which begs the question of if gender is binary between male and female, then does transgenderism actually really exist? I, I would argue that it doesn't and i did argue that in my presentation that there's no such thing as transgenderism um there has to be fixed objective points of reference from you to claim to go from one to another you have to know what a man is to say that you aren't one or that and what a woman is to say that you're not a man or a woman or vice versa and so 
that presupposes when we're when we're debating those things or discussing those things or people are arguing those things that there are fixed points of reference, objective points of reference um, that do exist. And so there biologically, anatomically, reproductively, there is no such thing as transgender. There are two genders. A gender is binary. Now, there's uh, you brought up the word spectrum, which is interesting. Um, more uh, argument I heard recently that I hadn't really heard before, which is probably if there's a argument that maybe was the best out of the ones I saw related to transgenderism in my research that made you think, and that, you know, at least it was a good attempt to try to, to argue for transgenderism. Um, it was probably this one and it's, it's known as the spectrum argument where, and this is from a Christian. I use that term loosely, but people within Christendom trying to harmonize uh, transgenderism with the Bible and with nature and, and, make those things compatible. And the argument basically is that in nature, let's talk about things being natural and unnatural, but in, in nature, you see some overlap and uh, these examples given there's, there's emerging uh, between dusk and dawn. There's some overlap there where they meet. It's not always completely. In the, and the argument is that the, the Jews were really binary in the thinking that was a Jewish, they'll argue that was a Jewish tradition or, or, or way of thinking, very binary, but that in nature, there's this overlap. There's where dusk and dawn meet. There's where land and sea meet, you know, in swamp areas. And so they'll argue that there's a spectrum and there is, um, you know, that's, that's this trans idea that, that exists. But my response to that and thinking about that is I believe there is a spectrum of masculinity and femininity and there's some cultural uh, subjectivity involved in expressions of masculinity and uh, actually listen to some of y'all's content on biblical masculinity relates to this discussion as well and so when we think about the terms gender and gender identity what's interesting when you look at the history of that those were relatively new terms from I think maybe the 1960s in the past, we would refer to a person's sex, but that word gets confused with other concepts obviously as well. And so you would talk about gender and the way I would, you know, normally use the term gender would be expressions of your biological sex. So when I talk about gender, I'm talking about, you know, gender roles. The Bible talks about gender roles and, what it means to be a man and responsibilities that men have and responsibilities that women have. That's how I would use gender. But since the sixties, now genders come to mean kind of, it's, it's more fluid and flexible. It doesn't have to match your biology right? in our culture today. So what's, what's really interesting is you would think that we would make the subjective, how we feel submit to the objective. Talk about all about objective truth, our biology, but, now we've reversed that in our current culture where now we're making what's objective biologically, anatomically, reproductively submit to our subjective feelings and our gender identity. However, we identify and that that has to be recognized. And if you're tolerant and loving, as we talked about last time, you have to affirm and, and celebrate my delusion. And so it's, it's interesting if you study the, some of the, I think John Money maybe was the guy's name. Some of these concepts of gender identity, some of his research, John Hopkins. And if you look at some of those studies and what happened, one of the 
young men involved in that study committed suicide at 36, and then his twin brother committed suicide at age 38. Very disturbing. Hmm. When you look at some history of some of how this this got going, and and so um, you know we talk about the spectrum. Again, I think there is overlap between men and women. I think we talk a lot about the differences because there are, and there are different roles and responsibilities and different uh, things about men and women, obviously, and the Bible speaks to that. But there are a lot of things that are similar between men and women. We also have a lot of similarities, too. And so there's going to be some overlap. There's going to be some area where those things meet. And, and some people might have in some aspects of their life and their personality a man might have some feminine traits that other men maybe don't have. But then in other areas, they have more masculine traits. I mean, there's there's differences there. There might be some women that have some more masculine considered. And some of that's stereotypical. Some of that's cultural and subjective in terms of what it means in America to be a man. And I think sometimes, you know, we think of John Wayne. I'm not saying there's anything wrong if there weren't some uh, manly qualities to John Wayne or Chuck Norris, certainly. But oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> but there's also not that our culture always gets it right about it, what it really means. We're talking about being a godly man and a godly woman. And so sometimes that doesn't always match our stereotypes. And we see Jesus wept. Jesus was a manly man and he was no doubt tough in a lot of ways and uh, could rebuke people and drive people uh, that were in the temple, you know, uh, out um, that were exploiting people. I mean, we see some of those traits that we would think, yeah, that's, a manly man, but we also read about him weeping and showing emotion and, and empathizing with people and things that we think are more emotionally expressive, which sometimes in our cultures has seen as feminine, mm-hmm. um, you know, was a warrior and yet he was also artistic and he was a musician and some qualities that we might, you know, tell our, you know, in American culture, you know, you know, you don't, you need to go play football or something. And that's, that's stereotypes. And I think in studying some of these things, what, happens sometimes with people that struggle with gender dysphoria and then try to transition is it somebody who you know had some uh, a boy who had some feminine qualities in certain aspects of their their personality or a young girl had some masculine quality which we sometimes call tomboys a lot of tom uh tomboys um and so then because they show some of those qualities that we deem, you know, that's that's masculine or that's feminine. And we make these boxes that you got to fit in these boxes. Well, then they end up feeling rejected or confused. Sometimes they have people coming and say, oh, you're really a, a, a male trapped in a female's body or a female trapped in a male's body. And you need to transition and, and don't deny who you really are. When in fact, the truth is they're just different parts of this spectrum, this overlap. It's they're biologically clearly a male or a female, but they have some, you know, interest or some aspects of their personality that might be more feminine in some areas or masculine. But there's nothing wrong with that. And yeah. I think we need to be aware and not not, you know, feed the stereotypes that everybody has to fit in this perfect box. And I know I can be guilty of that with my boys. I have a certain uh, view of how they should act and what it means for them to be a man and young. And sometimes you know, I can invalidate their feelings and yeah. invalidate their expression some emotion, which isn't always wrong, you know, to a certain degree or a certain extent. And and so we have these preconceptions and misconceptions that sometimes contribute to these people uh, going into gender dysphoria and confusion. Yeah, I think that's fair, Trevor, because we we can take 
our our prejudices about what what a man or a woman ought to be and do and we can we can be wrong about that and then we can like you said apply that to people and and then make them feel like an outsider for example your reference with david being a musician you know we often in in western culture don't often consider the arts to be very masculine in this era but if you look in the eastern tradition like samurai from japan were expected to know how to play music and sing and recite poetry and paint and do calligraphy and annihilate their enemies in combat, right? I mean, so, you know, so there's very much a mixture of that. And so when we when we see something in a in a very masculine man in the scripture, maybe we need to readjust our stereotypes instead of trying to make people change to fit what we think they ought to do. Exactly. And I, I think there's been a lot of damage done with in some cases where it, it leads to people having this conflict and this dissonance and this dysphoria. Like, you know, I'm really a female then. If, if I'm acting this way, then I'm not really a male or I'm not. And I, I think we need to be aware of that and sensitive. And I, I think certainly there there are some areas that are objectively this is how this is gender roles. And, and the Bible, you know, outlines that. And there's some things that are clearly men men are to act this way and there's there's a level of toughness or the ability to provide for your family and, and lead and not be i mean those are objective truths about right. what it means and that we you know need to man up and, and live those out but there's also areas that are more liberty or personality or judgment and if we're not careful we let society instead of scripture dictate what it means to be a man. And then we tell people you're not a man if you don't act like this, whatever our stereotype is and a young person, especially. And I don't think that's fair. I think that can do a lot of damage and we need to be uh, careful about trying to put everybody in a box that, and I, and like I said, I'm guilty of that myself with my boys. I know sometimes I have a very stereotypical, this is, this is what, how men act. And it's not always how godly men act according to the scriptures. It's how (laughs) my, my view of what it means to be a rough, you know, a a tough boy and going outside and doing whatever and, you know, don't cry or don't do this or that. And that, that can do a lot of damage. And I'm, I'm trying to be more aware of that, more sensitive to that. So there are obviously people who, and I'm glad you used the firm, the, the term gender dysphoria, because there are actually people who do suffer from um, a mental illness, right. Which, which makes them, have a confusion about who they really are. Yeah. But, and, and I think that those cases are probably pretty rare they because are. what what we're observing in our culture is an uptick in transgenderism that I think is actually a social uh, contagion. It's not, it's not a pathology. It's a social contagion because people have figured out that if you can identify as something that's non-binary, that, elevates you in status and so there are a lot of young people who don't fit in you know growing up and being a teenager is the most difficult confusing and awkward time in your life and people truly need to find out who they are and one easy way to get a label and find a community and get some instant cred is to identify as transgender and i'm not talking about people who have a have a literal mental illness but i'm talking about people who do it as a way to seek attention or because they haven't found any other way to, to fit in or be accepted. So did any of your research point to, to those uh, ideas? 
Yeah. I mean, when you look at young people that, you know, we talked about homosexuality and I looked at some of the research on what causes uh, people a lot of times to, to, to become part of that, that lifestyle or behavior. And same thing with transitioning. Um, it's, as you said, a lot of times there's a need for acceptance and intimacy that they're not finding in the right places in their identity we talked about is so important and our kids need to find themselves in the Bible, in the church before they leave home. We talk about people that need to, and I get some of the concepts about, you know, growing up and maturing, getting out on your own. But if we're your first thing, our kids are going to find themselves when they go to college or become adults and leave the home. It's way too late. I mean, they need to find them. That's not where you find yourself. You find yourself in the Bible and they need to find themselves ideally in a Christian home in a Christian environment as, as early as possible. And so, when that identity is not found in Christ and the intimacy is not in Christ and you, you seek it elsewhere and acceptance. And then, like you said, in a critical time in a person's life, when you're developing, when your mind is not fully mature, some research would argue till you're 26 um, and they don't find acceptance in their normal culture at school or at home even. And then they try to find it in a subculture that'll accept them. And that is kind of the trendy subculture. And I think transgenderism has kind of become what homosexuality was a few decades ago. It's the new hip right. trendy engine. It's kind of taken the mantle from homosexuality even. And as you said, it's a social contagion. I would argue it's a social media contagion. Ooh, yeah. In a lot of ways, because I think the amount that we're seeing in terms of it trending up, the percentage of people who claim to be transgender or, you know, cats or all kinds of things. <laughs> and I think a lot of that is fed by Instagram and YouTube and social media where you can, you have a platform, whereas in the past you couldn't advertise it that easily and you couldn't see other influencers getting attention for being as bizarre as possible. And so I think the statistics reflect people, you know, the social media aspect of that has contributed to the acceleration we're seeing in those statistics. And, you know, you, you mentioned, um, that, you know, that versus people who really have gender dysphoria and, it is rare, very rare. And the people that really have it, I mean, it's heartbreaking. You can only try to imagine what it would be like to, to struggle with that. And we need to be aware that there are people that legitimately, it's not always for attention, but legitimately have gender dysphoria. There's a dissonance between their objective sex, their biology and their subjective feelings about who they are and what they are. And, the statistics on that in terms of depression and suicide, su suicidal ideation, all those things are disturbing, very alarming. There are a lot of issues associated with that. It is not healthy. And what's interesting is in the past, gender dysphoria was considered the, the disorder. It was, a, it was a disorder, according to like the, the American Psychiatric Association and things like that. And they would treat the dissonance, the fact that your biology your, 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 your psychology wasn't matching up to your biology. That was the problem. That was the disorder. And they would try to treat that disorder to make your psychology match your biology. Well, now they've reversed that. And now the disorder is only if you feel distress over that dissonance. If there's no distress, if you're not disturbed by it, then there's no disorder according to the new definition. And so what they're doing now is they're, they're what's known as gender affirming care, where they help people you know, transition and then live with the delusion and affirm the delusion, which is a very significant change 
in in treatment. Yeah. So you mentioned that there are also disorders which make people believe that they are they may have two fully functioning arms, but they feel like they're a person who is supposed to have one arm. Actually, listen to a story on NPR radio and people are, why would you listen to NPR radio? And because it's the easiest way to find out what Satan is up to. No lie, y'all. But they did a story about this guy who had a friend who had one arm. And after he got to know his friend, he got it in his head that he needed to be, he was actually a person who should have been born with one arm. And so he concocts this plan and actually cuts one of his arms off with a table saw in his garage at home and drives himself to the hospital. And they were really careful on NPR to say, look, we are not advocating that anybody do this because they knew, even NPR knew that this was wrong. And I'm thinking at the same time I'm listening to this, but in the same breath, you will celebrate someone who feels like they are born a different gender and then they need to have a surgery to change their basic biology and ruin a lot of their life, depending on how young they are. It's it just the hypocrisy is just ridiculous to me. What's the difference? And that's a great, you know, because there are real um, disorders like you described there. And, and is the solution to amputate their arm and help them live with that delusion? Or is the solution counseling? You know, um, should our should our psychology submit to our biology or our biology to our psychology? Should the subjective submit to the objective or vice versa? That's the question. That's debate. And and so. Um, you know, we're not helping people. We talked about that last time. If we're helping people um, live in sin or live in a delusion, that's not the help they need. You know, any sin or thing we're struggling with has to be confessed for what it is or it will destroy us. And we're not helping people. We're not being loving and kind without truth. We're cutting their legs out from under them. And, you know, that's that's one of my problems with, um, you know, the preferred pronoun. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that because there's, there's a tension here, Trevor, where we want to be compassionate to those who are struggling and we want to relate to them and open the door for the gospel of Jesus to transform their life. And so what are some of your opinions on how we can address people in a way that is compassionate and respectful, but also honors the truth? Because I could easily see that being a very um, tense situation if we have someone who is a man who insists on identifying as a woman and we continue to refer to that person with with masculine pronouns and call them their dead name or whatever. Right. So how, what are what are some guidance about how we can do that and, and be, I mean, legitimately compassionate, and respectful, but also affirm the truth? Yeah. And I think, you know, some of the stuff we talked about last time would apply in terms of our perspective and our attitude when we interact with people that struggle with gender dysphoria or transitioned. We need to not gawk and gasp as hard as that can be. And I get it, you know, the homosexuality and trans, you know, it's described as unnatural. And so I, I think there is something visceral that for most people that we shouldn't suppress either that where you sometimes get desensitized to this is normal. And that's unfortunately what's going to happen to people and our, our, our kids and grandkids is it becomes more and more normalized the more it's embraced in our society and culture where it doesn't, there's no shock to it. And really any sin, whether we're talking drunkenness, fornication, I mean, we want to be consistent. Uh, 
should repulse us, you know, our own sin. We should be grossed out by our own sin, too. And so there should be something visceral that this is not natural. I mean, that's a valid scriptures clearly teach that. So there's some there's a reaction that we have that this is really unnatural as much as anything. But we've got to fight this this tendency to just be so grossed out by their sin, their their attractions or whatever that we think they're more broken than us. They're more messed up than us. They're not redeemable and and see them the, 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 again, zoom out to where we can all relate, even if we don't struggle with same-sex attraction or gender dysphoria, we all struggle with our identity. We all struggle with idolatry. And if we'll zoom out, we can have compassion and see that it's all the same thing. It's all sin. It's all uh, the fundamental sin of idolatry. And we can we can interact in a more compassionate way and a more understanding way. When I see somebody who's transitioned, you know, I can see that there's there's brokenness, just like I have brokenness. There's a need for Christ. There's, you know, when you look at the people that I talked about the studying, why especially young boys become homosexual and some of the common themes that you see and then why people transition. And a lot of times there is abuse that's occurred. There is tragic, heartbreaking things that happen to a young person, a child that's now an adult. But there is baggage there. And we need to think about that and empathize, not that we justify sinful behavior and we don't help you know we don't affirm delusion we intervene but that we approach them knowing hey there's been probably some really bad things that maybe have happened in their life damaging things that have happened to their life they didn't get the intimacy or validation from the right places identity in the right places and they're broken in a broken world messed up like i am in other ways or certain ways and so we really have to have that compassion and not compromise the conviction and so we're not just disgusted or grossed out where we're just going to avoid, you know, having that type of person in our home or talking to them or interacting with them on the street. You know, it was it was interesting a couple of weeks before my presentation in Denton. Um, my wife was with my children at Walmart in Canyon, Texas, which is a pretty conservative you know, area in the Bible Belt. And they saw somebody who was. Um, well, transgender is not, I said, it, I don't believe that's a real thing, but somebody who was attempting to appear, which is what transgenderism is. It's an, it's an attempt to create an illusion to appear to be the opposite sex of their biological sex. And it was pretty obvious to the point my kids had questions and it was kind of interesting timing. We talked about it at supper that night and some of the stuff I was about to cover, they were going to hear anyway, but you know, that's the that's the that's the unfortunate thing because of social media, because it's pushed in school sometimes and by our society. That's also creating more of these kids thinking I can get attention or they're having their parents tell them you're really a, a girl. You're not, you know, or gender neutral. They're being fed stuff that they shouldn't even know about at that age. And it, it's sad, just like a lot of things, when you have your children that in a lot of ways are innocent and you want to preserve that innocence. And yet we're having to have these conversations because if we don't, they're going to get educated from somebody who's not going to teach the biblical objective truth about it. So we talked about what transgenderism was. And again, age appropriate and fairly high level. We didn't have to get into all the details, but just here's kind of and it's not right. But we also talked about those people are made in God's image, just like us, that they God loves them just as much as they loves us. And when we see people struggling with something and that just like we struggle with things, we need to have compassion. We need to help them when we can. 
and serve them. And we need to not make fun of them. We need to not gawk at them and stare at them. Um, and we need to treat them with courtesy, just like we would anybody that's made in God's image. That's one element of this that I have found interesting. In fact, I think it really relates to what we've talked about in the, the homosexual move and the movement that was involved there. There is an element of this where it is so prevalent because it is what is put in front of, especially youth, continually. And, you know, there's there's so much Freud in our psychology and so much Floyd, Freud and Nietzsche in the way that we conduct our public schools. You look, Freud, if, if he knew nothing else, and then you can examine this and study it through what his nephew did and his involvement in marketing and ad campaigns in the United States. He understood that if you told someone a thing enough times, you could convince them of it. And, and that's what he was really good at. Not that he was a genius in breaking down the human psyche. He was a good marketer. And, and I don't think you, you have to get stretched very far now to know I don't care much for Freud. And, and his techniques and, and psychology based on his understandings. Um, but so much of this stuff, and you look at celebrity culture and how many celebrities are taking their children out in public dressed as the opposite gender. And then it's every time it's swapped. That's not accidental. And that's not the children deciding for themselves. These ideas are being pushed on them. And they're being pushed regularly. And it, it's this drive, and I mentioned Nietzsche, it's this drive at nihilism where it doesn't matter anymore. These these norms, these what you want to call constructs, and, and not you, Trevor, but the people that are pushing these ideas, postmodernism and, and its influence on epistemology, are pushing these ideas to destroy this baseline level of any understanding of right and wrong and the way to combat that because it's out in front of people so often is to live a life regulated by objective morality and to our listeners i apologize for my voice it, it's going to be what it is yeah uh and you know what's disturbing and i, I a lot of research and got into this more than i ever thought i would for for several weeks but you have teenagers and sometimes younger than that even who are confused they have dysphoria if you were a teenager you you remember what it's like to be you have a lot of dysphoria and i say genders in lots of dysphoria and all kinds of things because you're a kid and your mind's not fully developed you're confused and so instead of helping them grow out of it counseling them you know in the bible it doesn't tell us to change our bodies it tells us to change our minds i think that's really important observation to make that that's what needs to change is our psychology we're told to renew our mind and change our mind and repent and so instead of helping them learn to do that and grow out and mature and make decisions when their mind you know as they mature and, and make those decisions when his mind fully develops we're letting them decide and even parents pushing them into transitioning when they're 13 14 15 taking hormone therapy and doing surgeries to basically mutilate perfectly healthy sex organs 
and um, it's abuse and it's it's disturbing. And then you have some of these kids when they grow up, sue uh, parents or doctors for for doing that to them. Why would you let? I was a kid. Why would you let me? Why would you let me make that type of decision at that yeah. age as a child? That's child abuse, and it it's certainly uh, disturbing and and uh, crazy times we live in. And you know we say that, but basically every generation has said that right. because it's crazy yeah. from the very just been re- the idolatry and the the sin has been repackaged in various ways but it's been messed up from genesis and messed up bad and what's crazy though about the current times and some of those things that have gone on more recently in our in our culture with the sexual revolution and and um gender identity basically now sexual orientation is essentially who you want to go to bed with and then your gender identity is who you want to go to bed as <laughs> You know, I heard that one. that's a pretty good one. <laughs> a recurring theme that I have seen in a lot of these struggles, and, it, and it's devolving. It, it's the degradation of human civilization. It's this worship of self. And you see it, and just the things you just mentioned, Trevor, um, started with go to bed with who I want. And now it's as who I want. And there's a lot of these issues where this idea of self, which is another Freudism is so rampant in our society that, and, and the cancer of it is when I see someone that is out for their own good and they're succeeding and they're glorified amongst people that want to be rich and successful. Well, then I'm going to go after what I want too, and I can be who I want. I can do what I want. And we take that to the nth degree. And the, the only combatant for that is this truth of selflessness in Jesus. And this, you know, to kind of bring to a head some of what you guys have talked about, this love that Jesus had that he exemplified that he was willing to eat with sinners to share a table with the rejected. These are people that the religious leaders of their day would sneer at. I mean, not just turn their nose up, but they would look down on and do what they could to cast them out of their communities. And these are the people that Jesus was sharing a meal with and that he was having an impact on. And for a lot of them, you know, you think about people, especially as we have moved further into these problems and these issues. We have put this and, and societally, we have put these issues in front of younger and younger and younger people so that they know nothing else. And we are holding them to a standard that they don't understand if we're shunning them, if we're pushing them out and not giving them an opportunity to go, hey, there's truth here that can be found and we want to help you find it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you're right. Just like uh, Timothy's talk was so critical because it, and it goes back to the existence of objective truth and you got to start there. Um, you know, because that's been under attack in postmodern culture, uh, relativism and pluralism that everything's equally valid and, and everybody, you know, people talk about their, their truth, 
you know, I have my truth. And so you, there's no point even arguing about the truth because I have my truth. So case closed. And so we've, we've got to be able to talk about definitions of truth and love and tolerance. We talked about last time and established that objective truth does exist. Um, and that's very obvious when you think about it, you know, the, the there's no absolutes it's an absolute statement and it's self-defeating and there's so many problems with it. And really they think that, that ideology is going to be liberating and what in fact happens is it's oppressing because who ends up who whose truth wins when all of our when we all have our own truth and our own standard and they conflict obviously very often then then whose truth wins and it's whoever has the power the biggest guns as they say right so we we have to talk about truth we have and obviously that relates to gender dysphoria and what uh, the objective truth is and that there is uh, objective truth regarding our biology even. And, you know, I, I think the other thing too, I've thought about regarding um, transgenderism is I think sometimes even as Christians, we fall into this trap that our society has fed us. That's really Gnosticism repackaged, which not the Gnostics, you know, you see John writes a lot about them and, we see a lot about addressing their doctrines in the first century. The church was dealing with that heresy that basically God, the flesh was pure evil. Therefore God could not assume human flesh. And so they were denying the incarnation. They were denying the gospel and it was heretical. And so that was obviously being addressed by the inspired writers, but they also, because of that view, a lot of them had this idea that who you were in your body was irrelevant wasn't your identity that it was who you were with just who you were spiritually inside of you and so then basically they had this doctrine of, of license to sin that i i can do whatever i want in my body because that's not the real me i can live my life however i want to in my body physically because who i am spiritually is somebody entirely different disconnected from that mm-hmm. and if we're not we can start also thinking that, that our body is not significant that our body doesn't matter and the Scriptures teach, though, that God has placed a um, great value and importance on our physical bodies. The First Corinthians six: the body is for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. Romans twelve: present your bodies a living sacrifice. Our bodies were created and designed by God for a purpose. You know, from the 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 dust of the earth, He br- formed man and breathed in him the breath of life. And so that's part of who we are and our identity. And we need to make sure that we emphasize our spirit and our soul and our full being that. You know, our body's getting resurrected one day too. Our Amen. body is is important in that. We need to not discount that. And so, again, we're never called to change that body and physically in that regard, but we are called to change our minds and be born again. And so, I think we need to appreciate how important our the the body is that God has given us and designed for us. And He didn't make a mistake when He when He gave us you know that body or that sex. And, you know, it's 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 blasphemous and heretical and, and idolatrous and rebellious to basically tell God he's wrong. So Trevor, to try to, oh, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say and then try to transition to something else. So there's um, there's an idea there about. You know, you talked about the importance of the body and, you know, a lot of people said, you know, what really matters is who we are on the inside. But I liken it to someone who they don't take care of their, their physical body. You know, they allow their body to fall into terrible disrepair. They don't dress it with clothing that covers it in a respectful way. 
they don't take care to brush their teeth or comb their hair or, you know, and, and all those things. And I said, well, those are just cosmetics. But to me, it's a reflection of a person's character about how they choose to treat their most valuable possession on this planet, right? Their body. Because we only have one of them. And yeah, it's bad, bad stewardship. Yeah. And so, you know, we have our faith in Christ is what matters most. But the way that God demands that we reflect our faith is through the obedience of our body and of our mind. Right. So, you know, it's it's ultimately our stewardship of ourself and our actions and our choices with our body and our, our care and honor for our body is a reflection of our character. Obviously, there's some things that we can't control, and I'm not saying that somebody who doesn't brush their teeth doesn't love Jesus, but I'm just saying that the way that we treat our body is a reflection of our character. All of our choices are a reflection of our character, every single one of them. Yeah, and you know, we think about 1 Corinthians 6, where it talks about your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit when it, in the context of fornication, you know, not, and that relates to this discussion when we talk about homosexuality. And in, in, in sexual sin, heterosexual sin, any type of, as he's arguing, it's a sin against your own body. Mm-hmm. It's a unique, those speak in that way and that you're sinning against your own body. And so there is a significance to our bodies. Bodily exercise profits little, but it profits some. Sure. And godliness is profitable for things. And so I, I think, you know, we don't want to be like the Gnostics and just say that what we do in our body and our flesh is irrelevant. That, that is part of who we are and what we do and an expression of, of our spirit and our soul and, and who we are. And we need to not, not discount that. You know, Trevor, and you mentioned this, I want to kind of come back to it as we work towards a wrap. And, and I'm not saying we need to wrap immediately, but as we move this direction, I want to spend some time with this thought process. It has been, and I'm, I'm, speaking from direct knowledge here, it has been a thought process that people wrapped up in these things are so reprobate that they're beyond repentance. And what we're finding is that's not true. Um, and, and we could give you examples of people, I just secularly give you examples of people that have testified in, in various hearings and so forth about, transitioning and detransitioning and coming back to reality and how upset and unhappy they were. But we could give you more local examples of people that have really been in search of truth. They just didn't know where to find it. And what they were being told was a lie and they believed it as truth. And they have since found a greater truth and are working to conform to that. And beyond just the, necessary mindset of loving like Jesus to be willing to go into the beggarly and the, the people that would we would generally consider off-putting. What are some things we can practically do as we encounter people that have genuinely sought truth or, or encounter the truth of the word and say, Hey, my life's not conforming to that. I want to move into a different area of my life to, or, or rather conform, flip my conformity instead of flipping my physiology to match my psychology. I want to get it right and change my mind to fit my body. Yeah. Um, you know, I talked last time about listening, 
starting with thank you for sharing this with me, trusting this with me, maybe praying uh, about wisdom to, to walk this journey, you know, with them together and, and clarity on from God's will and starting there. And I think you don't make LGBTQ plus the issue, the issue, the issue is the gospel is sin is idolatry. The fundamental sin, the that's the heart. That's the root that Jesus always took it to the heart, no matter what the sin or the circumstances were, that's, that's where he took it to. And so we got to get to the heart. We got to get to the heart of the gospel and take it to the cross. And, and um, you know, like I said earlier, Romans one, all those sins, if, if uh, you know, America or our society or people or us or anybody has a, um, is greedy or immoral or arrogant or uh, unfaithful or selfish or unloving and all those sins that he lists there. It's, it has to do with our knowledge and view of God and our relationship with God. It's because we have a God problem. And so we've got to know, remember what the, the main issue is. I think we again have to see people with compassionate understanding eyes that we see that Matthew 18, 200,000 year debt that God forgave us. And if he could do that, if he could forgive me a 200,000 year debt, <laughs> He can forgive anybody else's debt too, because mm-hmm. mine was just as big and enormous as anyone else. And you know, I think what's blasphemous, you know, we talk about all the, the the ways we can be blasphemous in our behavior, in rebellious and idolatrous and sin, but probably the most, the, the, maybe the greater blasphemy is to say that God's not capable of forgiving that, and Christ's blood is not powerful to cleanse that and wash that away. I mean, that's that's a that's a pretty um, unbelieving, lack of faith, you have little faith and blasphemous uh, statement or accusation to make is when we look at people, whatever they're struggling with or whatever they're engaged in and say that that's what the Pharisees did. You know, those people, those people, and they were those people too. We're all those people, but looked at them and said, they, they're, they, they don't belong in the kingdom. There's no way God could save them. God could use them. And that's what God does. It's what he always has done is to show his powers he cleans up. He came to call the the sinners, not the righteous. And he cleans people up and uses them for his glory. And so I think that's the message we need to send to people. And we need to share, you know, our testimony, if you will, and what God's done for us. And also, again, I talked about this some last time. I, we don't want them to think about just here's what you got to give up, you know, because there is a cross to bear. We have to deny ourselves. And that's a big problem in the culture we live in. It's always been a problem. We don't do that very well. We don't submit very well, especially as Americans. And so we do want to count the cost. We do want to not give people the idea that it's there's no persecution, no obstacles, no adversity, because then they're going to quit really easily because they're not prepared for it. Right. But we can't just say, here's what you can't have. We got to say, you know, Jesus said you get you gave up everything to have or all to get, get everything to gain everything in me. Uh, it's a net gain. And if we're looking at it as a net loss or what we gave up, we're dishonoring him and his value and his glory. And so we got to tell people that this is a good deal. This is the best deal you're ever going to find. This is the best insurance, the best investment you're ever going to find, no matter what you gave up to have that pearl of great price. It's worth it. And also remind them that we all have to make sacrifices. Jesus made the biggest sacrifice for us and we all have to make sacrifices because we don't want them to think that, you know, well, you know, poor, poor me. I'm the only one struggling with with something, and I'm I'm the only one that has to make sacrifices to be a Christian and help the church and all that. We all have to do that. We're all in that boat, and I think that commonality in 
that we all struggle with something. And we're not asking you, Jesus is not asking you to do something that he hasn't asked and demanded of all of us. Well, Trevor, I think, you know, one of the things that you've hit on in some of these practical things is exactly what Romans 1 points to. I believe, you know, you you have referenced Romans 1 many times. Um, and in Romans 1, you have that spiral to idolatry. And one of the first steps that people take in that spiral is their lack of gratitude. And you see that in God's people throughout the ages. The lack of gratitude leads them down this path. Uh, you saw it with Israel whenever they were in the wilderness. You know, God was giving them their provisions with manna, and they weren't thankful for those provisions. Um, having the gratitude for exactly what you said, the blessing of Jesus. If any, if nothing else, the blessing of salvation that we have through Jesus Christ is is something that should produce within us a joy and a thanksgiving that sustains us. And then in addition to, to this as well, and we, we touched on this last episode, is providing them the type of community that the kingdom is supposed to be. Because so many people want to be a part of something and whenever some of their root cause of why they have gone down this path is because they haven't felt accepted and they're desiring that attention. And so they turn to a community who is going to affirm them no matter what, no matter who they believe they are. Um, We are called to have a community of people who are close, who are loving who are there for one another. And so I think that on top of the the thanksgiving and, and the joyful attitude, there needs to be people there that can remind them of those things as well and support them through some of the struggles that they're having. Yeah. And I think we tell them, and most importantly, we show them, we're going to love you better. We're going to love the, the true definition of what love is and what it means to love somebody. We're going to act, you know, help you in acting in the be- your best uh, self-interest. But even though we do that imperfectly, even as Christians, we're not going to get that right all the time. God's going to love you perfectly, and he's going to love you better than where you can find love and identity uh, anywhere else. And so, you know, I think we got we to gotta show them that. We got to share share that with them. We got to be part of the hundredfold that uh, God uses us to to provide those things to them. And, you know, you brought up joy uh, and gratitude. And I, I've talked a lot about joy. And one of the greatest things you can do to have more joy, and you'll see this a lot, you know, the gratitude journal is, is count your blessings. And it, it'll fill you, that gratitude will fill you with peace, with contentment, satisfaction, and joy. The opposite of the things that will rob you, the envy, the discontentment um, that robs you of joy. And so when we try to find our identity outside of Christ or we don't, put our faith in Christ and we look for love and, and those things and hope everywhere else instead of his broken body. Um, what, what happens is, you know, people say, can you, can you have joy outside of Christ? Well, I think we can enjoy moments of, you know, God's uh, providence extends to the just and the unjust. He makes the sun shine on the just and the unjust. And so God gives us 
gifts within its common graces that are available to unbelievers and believers alike. But the difference is the unbeliever, those who don't put their identity and faith in Christ, have no one to say thank you for. You know, the long walk on the beach, the birth of a child, all these this this beauty that exists that can't be explained by macroevolution or natural selection. That beauty exists and we can perceive it. We can we have color, uh, we have taste, and we can be in awe on that. But we have without God, we have no one to say thank you for those blessings. And that's one of the greatest uh, sources of joy in your life is to be able to worship and be able to say thank you to God. And so that's why it's so important that we help people. We point them to Christ. We point them uh, to God because again, you referenced, you know, we've talked a lot about Romans one. I think everybody pretty much talked about Romans one in those presentations because it was so relevant to our topics, but the sins in that list, including the ones we've been talking about, are, are always the result of suppressing God's truth and a love for God and a love for truth and refusing to, to acknowledge uh, and retain God in our knowledge. And these that list are the types of um, depravities that happen when we reject and replace God with something else. And the more we choose everything but God, the more these sins are going to be unrestrained in our society. Every sin is is connected to our preference from something other than God. Right. I'm going to, I'm going to add a couple more things real quick, Trevor. Um, and it's because of some of the things that you guys even started the episode with. So I think two very practical things that we as Christians can do in terms of helping others that have been, been struggling in these areas is number one, we need to have the joy that shines that light of of jesus because if we go walk around looking like we were baptized in lemon juice then how are (laughs) we going to help other people be thankful and point them towards the joy that they can have through jesus christ and the other thing is what christopher started the episode with and that is we need to be comfortable with our own identity and not be in our own identity crisis. If we truly recognize that we are Christians above all else, before all else, then it's going to help us be Christ-like, which ties into what Jared has said in, in many of these things in the way that we show the compassion that Jesus showed. And we're, we're going to ha- be that community that, Jesus has expected his people to be. And so being comfortable and confident in the identity of that we have in Christ is a a second, I think very important step for us to take in interacting with others. Yeah. We got to buy what we're selling or we're not going to be very convincing. I've heard uh, saying, you know, joyless Christianity is the billboard of Satan and it's, it's bad advertising and it, Great disservice to the gospel, which is good news, not bad news. So I think you're exactly right. We gotta, we gotta show the world that there's a better way, and it's not that we're better, um, but 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 we're following um, the only perfect person who ever lived, and um, he leads us in the in that better way. So we gotta show there, there's there's something better. There's a better way. There's a better identity. There's a better life. Um, there's a better hope. So there's there's still one thing that we haven't really talked about that I have wrestled with for a long time. And I think I may have finally settled on how to handle this because we are, I don't know if you all have been confronted with someone who was 
um, you know, intersex or transgender. And, you know, the, the time it got really real for me was a couple of years ago, we went and celebrated a holiday with another family because the situation um, was kind of weird, but we went over to someone else's house during a holiday and they had a family member that came to their house too. And this other family, while they're not part of our particular Christian fellowship, um, you know, they're believers in the Lord. And there was a little bit of tension because one of the kids that came over identified as transgender. She's clearly a girl, uh, but identifying as uh, gender neutral and, and has taken a more masculine name. And so I just met this person. You think, well, how do you, how do you interact with a person? You know, do you call them by what they really are? Do you call them by their preferred pronoun, their real name? And I think there's probably a time to be really honest with that person. There's probably a time to tell them, like, look, you realize that at the at the end of the day, you really are this or that. But I think probably first meeting someone is probably not the time and place to have that conversation. And, you know, you might say, so you'll call a man, you know, a woman who's really a man. And what if they can, what if they misconstrue your um, using their preferred pronoun as support? And I would counter with what if they, what if they construe my using their actual pronoun as hatred and which is the worst outcome. And so I think that, when we encounter someone who is transgender, it may be wise and it's going to be dependent upon the context, right? To use the pronoun that they give us that they prefer as a way to be respectful and courteous to the individual and build a bridge to eventually tell that person the truth. Uh, I do draw the line at calling people a cat, Trevor, you know, you mentioned that. And you may think that that's just a, something you hear on the news, but honest to goodness, there is a kid in a community near Stillwater who at the public school who identified as a cat and used a litter box and all that stuff. And um, I'm telling you, it's real in small town, Oklahoma, this stuff is happening and it's only a matter of time before we are faced with it. You know, Christopher, um, I have struggled with this question as well from a, uh, from a medical provider standpoint. Yeah. You know, thinking ethically and morally, in that realm. And I will tell you whether right or wrong, where I have settled in my experience with patient care is using neutral terms. Mm -hmm. That's where my con my conscience is is not violated at that point. I feel like I'm not being disrespectful to them, but if I use those neutral terms, then I've actually been able to build good relationships with patients who um, identify as transgender yeah. by doing that very thing. And so I, I believe you're exactly right. There's a time and there's a place and that's not the start. The start is we've got to shine the light of Jesus and we've got to show them the joy and the love that can come through and from Jesus. Amen. Yeah. You know, I didn't get to talk about that scenario. Um, I alluded to it, but didn't have time to really um, address it. But obviously, I thought a lot about that. That's a, a controversial topic. How do you handle that? You know, practically, how do we how do we apply the golden rule in love with truth, grace and truth, when, with in regards to preferred pronouns? And I've kind of settled a similar a philosophy. The solution is to call them by their name. You know, that and even maybe a name that they've selected. 
that's not their what they were given at birth because names are arbitrary. In fact, you, you know, it's pretty trendy today, common for people to name boys what was, again, culturally considered girl names and vice versa. I mean, that's that's not a, necessarily objective. There's subjectivity in that. And so I, you know, don't have as much of a conscience issue calling them by their name, even if it's a new name that they've selected for themselves. I do have um, conscientious objection to um, calling a man a woman and a woman a man because I don't want to affirm or contribute to the delusion or the confusion that's mm-hmm. uh, so widespread. And I don't want to lie. Yeah. And so I found myself where I work, where we're forced to call somebody by their preferred pronouns that doesn't match their objective, you know, um, biology. That might be a hill that I would be willing, you know, have to die on. You know, I, I would do all I can to call them by uh, their preferred name because that's not necessarily lying. But I don't want to, you know, give the impression or send a message that um, that a man's a woman or that a woman's a man that when that's when that's not true and that's not, um, you know, what what God created. So that's kind of where I settled. And looking at that is I'm going to try to use names that are arbitrary and avoid pronouns. Um, but I, I can't in good conscience, um, be part of the problem of affirming delusion in, um, in calling, you know, a man, a woman, I I just, I feel like that that would, would go into the realm of, of not telling the truth. Yeah. And that's part of the, and that's part of the struggle I had as well, Trevor. Um, and like I said, I was dealing with it from a medical perspective. Um, and it was a struggle. I, I, I struggled and studied and prayed about that for quite a while to kind of land where I landed. But, you know, I hadn't thought about, obviously, like I call them by their name. And one of the things that I've done with patients in the past is I've called them by the name that's on their medical chart. But yeah. You, you, you stimulated a thought in me, a perspective that I've never considered. And that is how many people do we call by a name that is not their actual legal medical record name? Like how many of you, how many of you guys know Butch as John or Butch? Exactly. And, and I hate to throw his name out there, but that's who I, that's the first thing I thought of that we would all know is whenever somebody says John, I I don't know who they're talking about, but I know who Butch is. Yeah. And, and and, I mean, how many times my daughter, I'm pretty sure would introduce herself as Joe or Jojo, not Joanna, because she yeah. gets called Joe the majority of the time by me. And somebody who is from on the outside looking in might be like, why are you calling your daughter a boy's name? Well, I'm not. I just shortened her, her given name, you know? So that that's an interesting perspective that I haven't considered. And it's one that I think that I'm going to, I'm going to take and run with a little bit. Yeah, well, yeah, good grief. My youngest son's going to have species dysphoria. We call him Jaybird. What are we doing here? Good grief. Yeah. And and the point is, you know, names are arbitrary. Your sex is not. Amen. Yeah. Well, you've definitely given us a lot to think about, uh, Trevor. And I, we really appreciate you coming in for another round to share some additional perspective on a really culturally pertinent topic. And it's just our desire that the things that we've said in this podcast, if we've said something that has caused someone to do a double take or has, has offended you or something you've never heard before, 
you know, our intention is to honor Christ above all and to be holding forth the word of truth and doing that in a, in a loving way. And so that's definitely our goal uh, to do this. And Trevor, we appreciate you facilitating a good conversation in that. Yes, sir. So as we wrap up, I want to let our listeners know that next week, uh, if everything works out like we hope it will, we will have Brother Brent Benoit to talk about progeny and covenant relationship. And we, we will discuss the very sensitive topic of abortion and how we can respond to that as Christians in a way that demonstrates both uh, a love for life, but also a compassion and a love for broken humans like us. And so we hope that you'll be able to tune in for that next episode as well. We thank everyone who's listening. Um, we appreciate that you spend time with us in this discussion, and we hope that our discussion will be a template or an inspiration for you to have productive discussions with others about the things that we've talked about. So Trevor, as we love to do, since you're our guest, do you want to pray us out again? Yes, sir. All right, man. Take it away. Father, we thank you for this time and the opportunity to study your word, to learn more about you and your will for us, to marvel at your glory of, of who you are and all that you do and the way that you love us and have provided for us, um, the way you've revealed yourself, the truth that you teach us. And we pray, Father, that you would help us to be people that love the truth, that believe the truth, that share the truth and love in a gracious and patient and humble manner, that we would uh, esteem your truth, that we would be able to show people in our lives and in our words that objective truth exists because you exist and all truth ultimately derives itself from you. And so help us to be people of truth. Help us to help others to find the truth and, and um, obey the truth and submit to the truth. We pray that you would give us compassion and eyes and that we would be able to look at others and their struggles and their confusion because we live in a confused world in a broken world and that we all are confused because of sin and because of um, the, the great deceiver. And so help us to see through Satan's lies and help us to show others uh, how to see through Satan's lies. That the light of the gospel would shine and that uh, the, the veil would be lifted, that um, eyes would be open to your glory and to your truth and use us as instruments uh, your uh, as ambassadors for you to be able to communicate uh, your truth with love. Help us to be full of grace and truth as our Savior is. And we pray, Father, that um, we would be able to uh, point others to you and to the gospel and to the hope that you offer in Christ for whatever they're struggling with. We pray that you'd be with those who are going through gender dysphoria or same-sex attractions, that they would seek help in your word from you that they would seek help from a Christian counselor and that they would reach out to somebody and talk to them and that you'd make us available um, for people that maybe we can assist and help in those, in those uh, matters. We pray father that you would continue with us, help us to be able to um, shine the light of Christ to those that we come into contact with and to show people and, and teach people the good news of the gospel is that nobody is outside of, your grace, your love, your mercy that is beyond uh, your ability to, to redeem us and to reconcile us to you and to uh, make us new in Christ. And so help us to put our faith, help us to find our identity fully 
in Christ. We love you and we praise you and we thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen.